Well, good morning on this Wednesday in our fifth week of Lent. We encounter this reading from Daniel. Daniel's such a fascinating story to read. It's apocalyptic in nature, the type of literature in the Bible that it is in Scripture, the genre of apocalyptic literature like Revelation. And it's fascinating to read. It's, as you've heard said or know from your own study, it's not a story written by Daniel. It's written about Daniel. Daniel is a real person, and as are the characters named in here, particularly in today's passages, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and his colleagues, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. We know them. They were renamed by one of the king's courtiers as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But it's their story in Babylon uh, during the captivity, during the time the elite of Judah were taken into captivity by the Babylonian army. And it's a story actually written down, though, in the second century. They're in Babylon in captivity in the sixth century BC, but this story is written down in the second century BC. It's written down during the time when Antiochus Epiphanes IV, 167 to 164 BC, is through uh, forceful conversion attempting to Hellenize the Jewish people. That's what's happening at the time. And he's profaning the temples and he's doing many, many awful things. And at that time, the authors of Daniel write then the story of their ancestors in the faith from the 6th century BC about these four characters today. And what's happening is that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah have been acknowledged for their wisdom and their insights. And so the king, a real person, Nebuchadnezzar, has them brought into his court. In fact, he asks Daniel to interpret some of his dreams, and he does. And Daniel actually prophesies that he'll build this statue of an imagined God, which he does, which Nebuchadnezzar does. And then Nebuchadnezzar demands that all would uh, fall down at the sound of drums and, and pipes and horns and bagpipes. That should have been your first clue, something's wrong, calling to worship with a bagpipe. But he calls them, he tells them that when you hear the call to worship, you must bow down and face this God, this, this statue, this tall towering statue, and fall in worship before this imagined God. And the three do not. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego refuse to do that. They say, no, we, we won't do that. And in fact, the king threatens them to throw them in this furnace and have them burned alive. And the three respond in defiance, well, you may, you, you may in fact do that, but we will not yield. We will not yield because we trust in the truth of our God, the God of Abraham, our God, the God the Father. That's the true God. That's the truth in which we live. And in fact, the men are then bound and they're thrown into the furnace, the three of them, and they're not consumed by the fire. In fact, the the guards who have thrown them into the fire are then reporting. We actually see four people walking around inside this large cauldron, this furnace. Uh, there are three, we know we threw in there, there appears to be a fourth, and it looks to be a son of man. Well, we can imagine it was an angel that came to visit them and kept them unharmed in this, in this uh, very, very uh, hot furnace. They are not consumed by the fire. They live, they're taken back out of the furnace, and they continue in their testimony of faith. They will not yield to the demands of a pagan god. In our gospel reading then from John, we're in the eighth chapter as we were yesterday, and Jesus' witness continues. He says that to them. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. So there are some who are converting. Obviously his followers, his immediate disciples, they're Jewish and have come to know him as Messiah. 
but others are as well, coming to recognize him as Messiah, but they're conflicted because he says to them, if you remain in my word, you will be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth yields to no one. The truth will always set us free. That's just true in our practical lives. And they answered him in defiance, well, we are the descendants of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus is talking about not a national uh, slavery or not an imprisonment by humans, but an imprisonment by sin, that we can be chained to, to sin, we can be chained to ideas and, and practices that are unhealthy and not of God. That's the enslavement he's speaking of. He makes a reference to Genesis, actually, Genesis 21.10. He says, a slave does not remain in a household forever, but a son always remains. He's drawing the distinction between Isaac and Ishmael is what he's doing. He's drawing that distinction, referencing the story of Genesis, how Ishmael was sent away from the home when Sarah said, send that slave woman and her son away. That happens. And he says to them, then in affirmation, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no room among you. His teaching about himself, who he is, the Son of God, the Messiah, didn't fit their understanding of who the Messiah would be, didn't match their expectations. They expected someone else. They expected a warrior king like David to arrive, not this itinerant preacher, a carpenter from Nazareth. It didn't fit their narrative and their expectation. And so they're conflicted. He says, I tell you what I have seen in the Father's presence, then do what you have heard from the Father. And they again defy him. Our, our father is Abraham. In other words, we're the authentic descendants of Abraham. We are God's children. And Jesus counters them. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. What can we do with this? insight, both from Daniel and the heroes of the story out of Daniel's prophecy in life, and as well as Jesus' testimony today. Perhaps it's this. Our times are not as radical as then in Babylon. We're not being threatened with being thrown in a furnace, as far as we know. But it does ask us an inspiration. These, these, These teachings ask us an inspiration to not yield, to not bend the knee to a contemporary God, a cultural God that demands allegiance and affirmations of things that are just not true. And our young ones, especially those the high school and college age, are presented with these artificial teachings, these false gods, mainly the god of self. Perhaps that's the most pernicious. It's the god of self. It's hard to recognize the god of self, where I elevate myself above all other things, where I say, well, I've discerned and I know and I've determined what truth is. And we use that colloquial phrase, that's my truth. My truth is whatever stated is. And that's going to lead ultimately to death. Yesterday's teaching was very direct. You remember, our Lord said, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. That's truth. Unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. And we have the responsibility, those of us learning and growing in the faith, we're all students for life in the faith, we have a responsibility to live and speak that truth to a world, a contemporary society that wants us to bow down to these artificial gods, these artificial gods sometimes represented in ideologies. And like Azariah and Mishael, Hananiah, we need to not yield, we need to not bend our knee, we need to stand in defiance and say, no, I will not bend to that ideology, I will not yield, I will not explain away irrational thought, I will not explain away 
ideas that are not founded in the truth of Jesus Christ. I will not make excuses for teachings and ideologies and thought that claims to be so enlightened and awoken. It's a lie and it leads to the death, permanent death, eternal death of our young ones if we help promote that ideology or if we yield out of convenience or if we yield out of the concern over upsetting someone. True compassion engages in that moment, comes in humility, but it speaks the truth. True compassion engages in the moment, doesn't run away from it, offers compassion, does so through humility, but never yields from the truth, never yields before an ideology or a teaching that is ultimately a lie. Let's go forward encouraged in the faith. Tomorrow is the feast of the announcement of our Lord. Tomorrow we'll say the Gloria and the Creed, beautifully so in our Mass, walking ever closer to Holy Week and the pinnacle of our faith, which is the ultimate truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God, came to us. God sent his son to us because of his love for us. His son died for us, the expiation of all sin, and his son rose, defeating death itself. That's the only truth we need in our life. Amen.